Welcome to season two of Talks and Sips. I am Jess. And I am Ceci. Welcome to episode 2.13, which is why this is so <laughs> weird right now. Definitely mm-hmm. not because I forgot to bring the camera. <laughs> it's been a day. It's been a week. And it makes sense. Um, but that's okay. Man, what you having? I'm having um, orange juice. Oh, man. Where are you at? <laughs> um, I was like, you know what? It's four, right now it's four, forty-five, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, although coffee doesn't affect me that much, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to load my body with a, bu- with a bunch of sugar right now. Mm. So let's go with some orange juice. Still sugar, but not as bad. And it's good for your body. OJ. <laughs> and this cup is like, I don't know. It's like, it's I don't really... know how to describe this. Like kind of like zebra, yeah. but not zebra color. It's like pink, purple. A little bit of white in there. It's pretty fun. Look at your you know, look at yourself in the mirror with the cup. Like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> My elongated face on there. <laughs> what about you oh, over there? <laughs> I was being very lazy. And I got this cup when I was in Arizona. But I thought it was so cute because it got cactus and stuff like that. But I'm actually having coffee at 4 o'clock because I need to be up for the next till tomorrow. <laughs> Such is life. Um, and I was really lazy about... I'm having boba right now, mm-hmm. and this I was like, none of the cups that I have are gonna be able to. I can't suck the, yeah, the boba; it's gonna... just not gonna work. Yeah, <laughs> so I just kind of just shove this thing in here, and now we're <laughs> now we're here. Yeah. But man, okay, feel like a woman, and that's our episode name today. Yeah. If you know that song by Shania Twain, that was like a bop. It's still a bop. Would you say it's a timeless bop? Um, I think so. I think so. It's made its way back on TikTok a few times, so (laughs) I guess that's the indicator. (laughs) Right, if it's on TikTok, it's hip. Well, happy Women's History Month, y'all. We are dropping some musical 411 on y'all today, so you can go to your next party and be like, did you know that amazing women did... And then dot, 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 you just fill in the, you know, whatever you want, (laughs) whatever you get from this, really. And, you know, we can't leave you guys without some spicy conspiracies. Like, it just wouldn't be us. So hold on to your chonies (laughs) and, you know, Cece will be making it rain on y'all. I will. She will. Okay. (laughs) This week on our music-themed carousel of entertainment, we are celebrating and highlighting some of the raddest women in the music industry. And, you know, what at one point you could not have without music. Uh, radio. <laughs> you, you, where were you going to get your music from yeah. if you didn't have a radio, right? Mm-hmm. I know, like, Gen Z's like, what's a radio? <laughs> what? Like, my Bluetooth radio? What? The streaming <laughs> app that I have? Spotify? <laughs> Apple? Anyway, a few sites I checked out make note of some of the same firsts, but I will be revealing later who Oxford notes as the very first for woman in music's first. So that whole thing, it was like, every time I say first, take a sip of your drink. You'll be breaking the seal for sure. Um, several of my American sources agree that... <laughs> you got to go up and down with the quotes. Uh, agree that in 1943 during World War II... Yeah, I'm taking it there. <laughs> it's going there. Radio sensation G.I. Jill, portrayed by Martha Wilkerson, was a major first, and here's why. During World War II, American troops... Which, oh man, we're almost at World War Three, y'all. Unfortunately. Uh, By the way, just side note, our hearts are with Ukraine. Just to just put it out there, <laughs> and the Russian people, because yeah, they're, they're 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 like fighting back. They too. don't. Yeah, they don't want all this to happen. So. They're like. No. Yeah. Our, our quick snippet of season one. Really? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, so during World War II, American troops were desperate for any boost of morale. Here's Jill and the G.I. Jive. Hi, you fellas. This is G.I. Jill with G.I. Jive. Sort of a special edition today, fellas, in answer to your request. I have some tea on that, too. <laughs> but G.I. Jill was the first female radio disc jockey, and she broadcasted her program from L.A. She was able to support American troops all around the world this way. At this time, TVs weren't accessible. I mean, they were invented. Yeah, they, I was like, not everybody had them in their living room. <laughs> right. But if you were a soldier partaking in World War II, like, you're not really watching TV no. either. Like... <laughs> But, however, you were, and they were listening to the radio. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a lot of long rides to their destinations. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> they was across the world. <laughs> um, unfortunately for them, propaganda was rampant at the time, and they would get stuck listening to a lot of demoralizing radio aimed at them, mm -hmm. hosted by, like, Tokyo Rose or, uh, or like, access sally and so i was like what the fuck is that mm -hmm. when i like was trying to get yeah. into this and i was like oh man here's a wormhole so <laughs> the japanese military launched to tokyo rose while the germans launched several shows hosted by access sally um, so they're trying to get in their heads through yep. the radio <laughs> yeah because back then like you didn't have like tv now or how we have our phones to be like whoa like i can see firsthand what's mm -hmm. happening yeah. there was that language barrier separation so it was like that's the enemy but there's no like human commonality to them because right. you can't talk to them yeah you can't understand what they're saying you just know oh we're at war with them mm -hmm. so this was their way of going like we're bridging that oh. um so there was in fact no one person who was tokyo rose right like you have beyonce and we all know it's beyonce i don't know or what her real name is <laughs> <laughs> or rihanna who is robin rihanna fenty like <laughs> you get me like so however there was one person who for whom almost all of the anger was directed to. Mm. An American woman by the name of Iva Toguri. And even though there were multiple Tokyo Roses out there, Iva was mostly known for it. So again, it's an entity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This morning, they are forcing you to attempt the impossible. Is that Tokyo Rose? Yeah, I guess so. The impossible. And no accident. For it is impossible for you to dislodge our forces on Iwo Jima. This first show created by the Japanese at the time was called The Zero Hour, and it was hosted by Aiva. Wow, that was really fucked up on my notes. <laughs> she agreed to host the show only if she didn't have to say anything explicitly anti-American, and she never did. So, like, okay. and this is really important, guys, right here. Okay, so in these shows, she would state things such as, Hey, you brave soldier. Yeah, you. Your wife back at home. You know, she's cheating on you, probably with the neighbor. Or milkman. Or mailman. <laughs> or any man, really. I mean, they would say things like this, or, you know, wow, you really failed out on the field. You suck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why the Japanese are whooping your ass. Oh, that's definitely not hurtful. <laughs> yeah. So, or, you know, however taunting sounded like in 1943. That was my interpretation of what they were listening to on the radio. So, we're all thinking, man, she must be a bad bitch if she's doing this right. Like, well, hold on tight. Uh, the story in itself is like the longest bad day ever. Like today. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Iva Toguri, a Japanese-American woman, was born on Independence Day in 1916 here in America. And okay. she was 
Yeah, and <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah. She was caught between two cultures, which is, you know, being Japanese and descent American. and being an American. Yeah. But at the time, she still wanted to be like the other American teens. She wanted to become a doctor and she attended UCLA. She graduated in 1941, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what the heck happened? <laughs> like, why, huh? What? So, so wait, so she was doing this around the time of her like after graduating uh -huh. right? <laughs> yeah so that's why you're like to spend your time <laughs> whoa well before we demonize her the story you're gonna be like damn that's fucked up so her aunt in japan became ill and mm. as a graduation gift to iva she was spent she was sent not spent well the time she spent wasn't great but she was sent to japan to go visit her i'd be like why is that a gift what no i don't want to go see my tia who's sick like just done send me to bali bro like i don't want to go to japan where i've never been even though i'm japanese it's like my mama would always joke around and be like hey i'm gonna send you back with your dad to Zacatecas." Mm -hmm. i don't know the man what, what the fuck do i want to go to the farm for like send me I don't know, Cabo. I, like, She's like, you like self-care? You could self-care out in the farm. I'm like, what? <laughs> Man. So anyway, she didn't like any of the food and she felt like an alien in Japan, which is like crazy. Yeah. So that sucks. Yeah. She's like an, a young adult now. Unfortunately, the year she went back was also the year the attack on Pearl Harbor happened. Mm. Oof. Okay. <laughs> so with tensions between the U.S. and Japan just exacerbated at this point, she missed the last ship for America and got stranded there. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> You're, and the more the story goes on, that's why I was like, man. Whoa, yeah. this it's is like such when a good one. Heightened. I know. <laughs> so the Japanese secret police came and visited her. And, Excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am, we're going to need you to renounce your U.S. citizenship. And she's like, no. <laughs> They're like, we need you to pledge your loyalty to the emperor. And she's like, no. Like, um, haven't you seen Mulan? <laughs> no. <laughs> Mulan wasn't even out at this time. <laughs> so she refused, you know, and she became an enemy alien and was denied a food ration card. So she wasn't allowed to live with her family in Japan either after this. Oh, so she's just like, booked yeah yeah and so she had to look for other accommodations and she found like a boarding house that took her in so adding insult to injury her family in america was actually placed in japanese internment camps at the very same time mm. after the whole pearl harbor thing happened not our proudest moment no. america <laughs> not, uh, not at all. <laughs> um, so she would write letters to them and they'd get lost no they couldn't contact each other she was finally able to get a gig at a radio station, not a not hosting like us right now, originally, <laughs> but uh, eventually she was asked to host because mm -hmm. she spoke English. Yeah. <laughs> um, after the war, she was able to return to the U.S., uh, but she was convicted of treason. She served six years in prison. <laughs> and, and the story gets even worse. <laughs> okay, so Gerald Ford pardoned Tokyo Rose. That's what she's her alias, right? Mm -hmm. In 1976, and she died in 2006 as a pardoned U.S. citizen in Chicago. No ifs, ands, or buts. She was a U.S. citizen at yeah. the end. Uh, but talk about a bummer. Yeah. Did she? Do you know if she like of natural causes? Was she sick? Yeah, she's just old. Oh, okay. No offense, old people. <laughs> she just got old. Um, okay, but also, she, all she did was go see her aunt. Yeah, as a graduation As a graduation gift. <laughs> gift. Like, and next thing you know, she's being charged for treason. She's <laughs> like, this is all your fault. Thanks, aunt. aunt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is where it even gets more sour. So Cosmo Cosmopolitan Magazine is shysty. Yeah, I said it. Mm -hmm. uh, they set up to pay for an interview with her, and they never, one, paid her. 
And she was, it was like $2,000 they were offering her mm -hmm. and they never paid her. But here's why. Uh, also, she was betting on this money so she can come back to the U.S. Oh. after the war was over. When she arrived for the interview, it ended up being um, a setup. Oh. <laughs> and the FBI was there waiting for her. <laughs> so basically, when she did come back to the U.S., she came back as a prisoner. Oh, and that's. And that's when they, they tried it. her, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Politan magazine. So, yeah, basically, that's what happened mm. to her. Sorry, bro. Uh, in <laughs> Germany, we had Mildred Gillers basically doing the same thing. But, you know, in Germany and she was mm -hmm. hired on by um, Nazis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and her story is like a little bit complex because she was a vagabond her whole life. So mm. she was moving since she was like a kid. Yeah. Um, but following her capture in post-war Berlin, she became the first woman to be convicted of treason. So actually, she came or was being arrested for treason for mm -hmm. her role as, you know, that other, the German radio yeah, person a month before <laughs> Tokyo Rose. So this was like a thing. Like yeah. They were going, they were going on fighting these women. Because like, people were pissed. Yeah. They were like, dude, all our all our dudes are sad. You're making them sad in war. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. So her story isn't as crazy, but she, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but for the sake of time, we'll keep on moving on to some more notable audio musical lady <laughs> figures. But Before I sidetrack way too far, thank you, G.I. Jill, for paving the way for dish jockey ladies. You finally come back. Yeah. <laughs> it was the tea was good, though. <laughs> um, okay. Some more notable mentions go to Ella Fitzgerald for winning two Grammy Awards in the inaugural year of the competition uh, in 1958-59. So 59 was the first award, but obviously it's a year before when they're mm -hmm. gathering all that. The only other woman, you know, recognized that year was opera star Renata Tebaldi and pop singer Keely Smith. Mm. So those were the first people or first women in the 50s to get Grammys. Gotcha. In 1960, Connie Francis became the first solo woman to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with Everybody Somebody's Fool. <laughs> I wonder if TikToks used that one. <laughs> Beginning in 1964, the Supremes set a record, which still holds today as the female pop group with the most hot 100 number ones, racking up 12 in the 1960s. And so that was like in Motown time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, leading us to 1975, as a teen, Joan Jett took over the rock music scene, fronting the runways. The group was one of the first all-female rock bands and became the most iconic of the 1970s. From their rebellious lyrics, scandalous fashion, and young age, the Runaways were quite the opposite of the popular music of that era, which was the disco era. <laughs> Just a side note. Mm. Why is this in all caps? <laughs> I, there was a formatting issue. Ah. I was like, am I reading this aggressively or yeah, not? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought what was going on. She's, she's not as aggressive as I thought she'd be. These notes are wrong. Uh, as time progressed, the band went their own ways. Jet went on to have her own musical career, leading mm -hmm. to her induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015. Yeah. And then we all know this one. We gotta do it, CC. R E S P C T. Find out what it means to me. Anyway. Uh, oh, snap. I don't think. Okay. So in 1987, it was a great year due to her, you know, Aretha Franklin had a great time. You know, she had all the prowess and became the first woman inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
for the sake of time and the following story, I won't get into more ladies past basically the 21st <laughs> century. <laughs> but we got to throw some love at Madonna for mm-hmm. iconically performing Like a Virgin at the first MTV Music Video Award ever. It was her first Hot 100, number one out of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was sitting like a queen right there next to Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey at the very exact same time. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Mariah Carey before. We've, yeah, we don't have to get into that. But as, lo- as lovely as most of these gals aforementioned are, sometimes we get some gals that seem villainized, maybe, and maybe rightfully so. Mm-hmm. All right. Just before we get into this, I was doing all my research while I was at work, mm. <laughs> and I was just in this, in my laptop, I was in the zone, like, what is going on? And then it's just, like, all quiet around me, all peaceful, and my mind is just chaos. <laughs> but already, we're going to bring... just hear a random gasp in the studio. <gasps> <gasps> What's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. I mean... <laughs> but um, we are going to bring some spooks back into play. Uh, with some conspiracies. Mm. It's mainly just one big one that has other little ones around it, but you all probably know of it already. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Courtney Love. (laughs) I'm pretty sure even if you don't know of her, that name probably rings a bell. Hopefully, if you don't. You're about Uh, to learn today. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She is tied to some conspiracies involving the death of her then-husband, frontman of the famous band Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. And before we get into the conspiracies, you know, I just kind of want to get to know Courtney before her and Kurt were even a thing. Right. She's her own person. Let's figure it out. (laughs) So, Courtney Michelle Harrison was born in San Francisco, California on July 9th, 1964. Uh, a cancer for those of you in astrology. <laughs> uh, I'm not, they're known to be crybaby cancers. So. Yes, I didn't want to say it. Wow, you thought what I said. Or you said what I was thinking. <laughs> her parents did get divorced when she was only five years old and she was primarily raised by her mom. So her and her dad never really grew up that close. Like they weren't very... Mother, not mother, father, daughter. (laughs) She lived in a commune for a good chunk of her childhood and then spent time in a reform school when she was caught shoplifting and she actually became a stripper at the age of 16. Holy moly. And they caught her and this is why she was going to that reform school as well. Yeah, so... A, a troubled teen, you mm-hmm. could say, but you know, who hasn't been there? <laughs> I don't know about the whole stripper thing, but <laughs> a troubled teen, if you will. Hey, strippers are talented. They was, are. Do you know how much <laughs> ab work that has to be done to hold your body up on a pole? For sure. Just but nice. also, You're 16. she is 16. <laughs> <laughs> so during this time, she became friends with Kat Jelland. She attempted college, but eventually she dropped out to travel around the world, including Liverpool, where she met Julian Cope. And they began a relationship together very quickly. She moved in with him, too. So this was all like, Mm. (laughs) she's like, let's just get into it. She's young, you know. He's in London. Liverpool's in London. There's something sexy about the British. (laughs) (laughs) But the relationship didn't really last for long. So she was like, all right, let me go back to America. (laughs) Around this time, she and her friends started an all-female trio punk band, Sugar Baby Doll with Jennifer Finch. It was Finch. Uh, Courtney and Kat from before. And it really is a ladies episode. Mm-hmm. You know? This was kind of just ironic. <laughs> <laughs> they actually broke up when Kat kicked Courtney out of the band, which led to them officially splitting up shortly after. All right, let's just split up. And later, Love and Kat reunited to create Babes in Toyland in 1987 with Lori Barbero on drums. 
at this time, um, Jennifer Finch, she had found her like her band, mm-hmm. if you will. Like she stuck with them. I forgot the name of them, but she was doing great. So you're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Keep going on. <laughs> but not too long after this band was formed, Loved was pushed out again by Cat. So they're just not <sighs> they're not working well together. They're good friends, it? but fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. But also, it's like when you get roommates that are your friends. Mm-hmm. You guys can be friends. Don't mean you're going to be good roommates. Yeah, you don't know what. What life past the hanging out is. <laughs> <laughs> but Courtney also, like, at this time, she's like, all right, let me try my hand at acting. And she enjoyed it. Even though, like, she wasn't getting that many big roles. Her first role was in Sid and Nancy. Mm. And it was a small role. Like, it wasn't anything major. She was BG. <laughs> <laughs> but she she liked it, so she continued it. And while she was living in Los Angeles, Courtney's love for music was really growing, and it led her to forming her own her own band whole sometimes you just got to do things yourself and i love <laughs> some of their songs <laughs> i, I want to say i love the whole band yeah. i want to say i love all of their albums but you know violet doll parts malibu good stuff y'all mm-hmm. so the band consisted of courtney eric erlinson jill emery and carolyn rue i always rue is such a good last name it is the winner name <laughs> yeah. and they were releasing singles they hadn't really released a full-on album yet but they were getting there and these singles were making it pretty big in the underground music scene and during this time is when mr kurt cobain came into the picture yeah nirvana was already a thing they were like making headlines too in the underground it was it's a true love story (laughs) (laughs) with murder so the two met at a club in portland and then they ran into each other at a different show in 1991 and shortly after that nirvana released their album never mind if you don't know which one that one is it's the guy that keeps suing them over there his picture of being a baby in the pool (laughs) this little baby penis in the dollar which you know he sued he he wants to sue them because he's tried it multiple times Mm -hmm. but in between all these times he like makes money off of it right or he like recreates it and it's like make up your mind man (laughs) yeah he like hypes it and he's like fuck i'm out of money hey this was against my will yeah so just make up your mind (laughs) (laughs) and uh this was released on september 12 1991 and the two began their relationship as a couple like basically right after Mm. (laughs) their relationship was moving rather quickly as they got married just a few months later in february of 1992 oh lord yeah (laughs) and i didn't see anything about this being the reason as to why they got married but at the time they were already pregnant with francis bean cobain Mm. and she was born on august 18 1992 oh hey leo so side note here she's currently dating tony hawk's son riley hawk yes girl get it (laughs) and i saw on facebook like a what are those what do they call on Facebook a post yes <laughs> sure um, <laughs> saying Kurt Cobain's daughter and Tony Hawk's son dating it's the most 90s thing ever <laughs> so great great uh, post yeah <laughs> after giving birth Courtney herself told Vanity Fair that she had been using heroin during the early months of pregnancy when she was unaware that she was pregnant dude that reminds <laughs> me of a story uh-huh. my niece Amber we think she's a little shit I love you, Amber. We love you, Amber. But when she was, my my sister didn't know she was pregnant and mm-hmm. she had gone to one of her winter formals uh-huh. and she was getting on all the rides and she was pregnant. <laughs> Oopsie. Like, oops. 
<laughs> just more fun in the womb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, of course, you know, social social services were like, um, we're going to get involved. <laughs> and they had them investigated. Kurt and Courtney were eventually able to regain custody of Francis after some time and like proving that she like legit did not know that she was pregnant when she was doing this. Unfortunately, though, this didn't scare like it didn't whip them into shape, if mm. you quote unquote that. And they continued to abuse drugs even after Francis was born. This is also a case of drugs. Like, you can really see here that it's an addiction. It's like they feel like they need this rather Mm. than they want it. So don't do drugs, kids. That's all I can say. (laughs) What is it? The The devil's lettuce is a gateway. (laughs) (laughs) Around this time, Kurt actually ended up hospitalized in a coma very close to death after he mixed champagne and rohypnol, which I found was a depressant that helps recovering cocaine addicts feel relief from the side effects. Wow. Yeah. And he mixed it with champagne. So that wasn't (laughs) (laughs) champagne. (laughs) Rumors were spread that he was in a coma due to a heroin overdose, but that's not the case. So... Wow. Not yeah, not too far after this, back at home in Seattle's Denny Blaine neighborhood, the police were called to Cobain and Love's house where he again threatened to kill himself. Although Cobain stated in a 1991 interview that he didn't believe in guns, the officers confiscated four from his possession. Uh, so <laughs> this article just threw that in there to be like, he didn't believe in guns, but he had guns. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so kind of making him look bad. <laughs> As his wife and friends watched him spin out of control, they attempted to intervene. Cobain mostly ignored their concerns, but reluctantly checked into a rehabilitate rehabilitation I hate that word. <laughs> clinic <laughs> in Los Angeles at the end of March. So, yeah, he checked himself out of the rehabilitation clinic without letting any of his loved ones know. Oh, no. Yeah, Courtney was eventually informed. You know, she was trying to make contact with him. They're like, uh, he's not here. Oh, no. <laughs> so she couldn't figure out where he went. So she ended up hiring a private detective, you know, as I don't think that's odd. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> like your husband just checked himself out of a, a mental health rehabilitation clinic. So this detective is Tom Grant, and he was put on to locate him. And he's a good detective because he actually made contact with Kurt the next day. Oh, wow. (laughs) He found that he was in their Seattle home, but he refused to go back to Los Angeles. During his days after leaving the clinic, according to History.com, the source, <laughs> he managed to convince a friend to buy a gun for him, claiming it was for protection. However, I say that's from History.com mm-hmm. because in some other sources, I saw that he bought the gun himself. Oh. So I'm not sure which one it is, but, you know, at this point, I think we all know what comes next. I yeah. <laughs> he went to his home in Seattle on April 5th, ingested enough Valium, which Valium. is... Valium, which is used to treat anxiety, alcohol withdrawal, and seizures. Don't do drugs, guys, but Valium is awesome when you're going into <laughs> oral surgery. Just saying. So unless you're going into oral surgery, you have no business taking Valium. <laughs> but it's so small, like, smaller than your pinky nail does wonders. Just don't do it if you're not going into oral surgery. <laughs> well, he, he had this and heroin, so he mixed yet Holy again. Moly. And he reached a very close to fatal level. And three days later, an electrician who was actually there to, like, 
put a security system in. He found Kurt's body, and it was ruled a suicide by gunshot. And this is based off of all the evidence Um. surrounding him, the suicide note, as well as how his body was found. And although this is the official ruling, many people question whether this is what actually happened. And right at the center of many conspiracies Mm -hmm. is who other than Miss Courtney Love? Who got to stay with the estate, man? (laughs) So now on to like those conspiracies or just the big one in general. Um, There's quite a few of them. (laughs) And most, they involve the wife. You know, it's always the spouse did it. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at what some say looks a bit fishy. Starting off, when Kurt had checked himself out of the clinic, there was a missing persons report filed by Kurt's mother, Wendy O'Connor. This report stated that he had a shotgun and was possibly suicidal. It turns out that Kurt's mom did not report him missing. Oh. (laughs) But Tom confirmed, the detective, Tom, confirmed that Courtney filed it under his mother's name. So it's pretty weird, but to me, it doesn't really suggest anything. But but it is weird. It's like, why don't you just use your own name well, instead of his mom's? She, I mean, maybe at this point, you know, because Nirvana had blown the fuck up and mm-hmm. like they were both like cameras and la la la. Like, Paparazzi's mm-hmm. were rampant at that time. You know? Yeah. So maybe she was just like, I don't. I can it, lie. It would feel more I'm, serious coming from like a mom, you would think. Yeah, or maybe mm-hmm. even like she was afraid to write her own name on the dotted line because ah. what if people start fucking with her right there? Mm, or, or, you gotcha. know, I don't know. Yeah. To me, it didn't seem like a, oh, she did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not enough. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> but it is it is a little weird. But what's interesting about all this, though, is that Tom himself was questioning whether Kurt's death was actually a suicide or not. Mm. In December of 1994, he made these thoughts public which had other people raising questions as well and the main reason behind why tom questioned questioned (laughs) the death was because he didn't believe that kurt could have injected himself with that much drugs which was later said that it was three times a lethal dose and still be able to shoot the gun at himself after oh i feel like tom's on to something yeah he's like there's no way that he could have had that much drugs in his system and been able... Because it was a shotgun. It wasn't yeah. a small gun. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. Dude, I was on that one <laughs> tiny... I was supposed to take two and I only took one. Mind you, I'm like five feet tall. But when I went in for that oral surgery, <laughs> my mom and her ex-husband now, who I didn't like, she was like, I need your moral support. Help me with my daughter. <laughs> and all that to say that I had to have this oral surgery where I was awake. So each one of them had to like hold me as mm-hmm. my legs dragged behind me into the OR mm. because it was that strong. Yeah. Like my legs were just, and I was laughing and I felt so <laughs> lucid and I was like, and I looked yeah. at him and I was like, I hate you <laughs> anyway. So I don't yeah. know, maybe this Tom yeah. guy's onto something. I think so. Cause like, I guess the counter argument would be like, he's, he's, this isn't his first rodeo. True, he's been through, yeah. Yeah, so, but also, like, okay, but it's three times. I just spit everywhere. <laughs> like, it's three times the lethal amount. Like, this man, <laughs> he, like, Did he, he use shouldn't. his toe? Like, that's the thing. He was wearing shoes. And that's, <sighs> I'm going to bring this documentary up later, but Soaked in Bleach, it was a Netflix documentary. It's not on Netflix anymore, but it's on Tubi or something. It's free. Mm. You can watch it. Uh, <laughs> it's a plug. It basically is at the core of Tom's like whole thing that he has going on. And they pointed out he was wearing, I don't know, they were like vans. So like there was no way of his toe to pull the trigger. <laughs> Unless again, the trigger was big and he had narrow feet. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's a shotgun. So it's huge. And it's like, there's so many questions. 
<laughs> but back to Courtney. Back yeah, to Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why Grant believes that Kurt Cobain was murdered because of inconsistency inconsistencies in his suicide note. Grant thinks that the top half of Cobain's letter was meant to announce that he intended to leave the music business behind. So he's like, yeah, this definitely feels like something Kurt would have written, but not to say goodbye to the world. Um... Like, just goodbye to the music industry. But since the bottom half of the note was diff- has different content and mentions love and Cobain's daughter, Frances, he thinks it could have been written by someone else mm-hmm. to be like, hey, don't forget about your family at the end. <laughs> Speculation. <laughs> there, and I didn't like put this in the air, but people have like compared her handwriting to oh. theirs. And like, there's people that are like, oh, it's the same handwriting. There's other people that are like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, it's really like, you need to look at yourself. <laughs> Where are the professionals? Because we know there is a job. Yeah. There is definitely a job for that. (laughs) And there are actually quite a few people who back Tom up, including none other than Courtney's dad. Mm. So I mentioned him earlier. He was very estranged from her. So that fool was a money grabber, you can tell. (laughs) So it wasn't like, I guess it was easier for him to think that she could have done this. But I mean, it's still your dad. (laughs) That's rude. Mm. And a couple of investigative journalists, Max Wallace and Ian Halperin, also backed him up and even wrote their books, Who Killed Kurt Cobain Mm -mm. and Love and Death, the murder of Kurt Cobain. So to push this, to push their case further along, Eldon Hoke came forward claiming that Courtney offered him $50,000 to kill Kurt. And I wouldn't take this guy too seriously, though. Yeah. (laughs) As he was known for being a quote unquote shot rocker looking to promote his career. (laughs) Yeah. However, something a little creepy that did happen was just a few days after he was interviewed about this, he was found dead after being hit by a train. So. (laughs) Would you say that's instant karma? (laughs) On a sad note, though, we're going to be sad girls here. (laughs) Although that was also pretty sad, you know, the whole train wreck. Um, Kurt's grandfather also claimed to believe his grandson was murdered and he actually passed away in 2019, still claiming to believe so. Yeah. And I always find that, like, super sad, you know, like, you never know what happens to your loved ones and then you you can't do anything about it so mm-hmm. it's like you can't move on to the next life like fully at peace hopefully he did found out what happened like yeah, yeah. if you believe in that afterlife yeah. <laughs> like no nope. yeah, yeah he did what he did. <laughs> <laughs> well because Kurt was like always disturbed like since childhood he used to sleep mm-hmm. under bridges like all of that he was vagabond he was rough yeah. he was yeah and so then on top of that like when the music went well, it was like his one avenue of creativity. He could feel good. But then what happened? It blew the fuck up, which he never he wanted want that. He was like, oh, fuck. And then he started making money and he couldn't walk outside and mm-hmm. people were annoying. And like now he's they want things from him. Yeah. And Everything like, was going the opposite of what he wanted. Right. Literally the person that's like, I don't want to be seen, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, though, the Seattle police detectives were disputing the theory that Kurt was murdered. And in 2014, the Seattle police department decided to review the Kurt Cobain case around the 20th anniversary of his death and after looking through all the evidence detector Mike Cienski (laughs) publicly disputed the theory that Kurt Cobain was murdered and in 2019 he offered some more details claiming that the evidence still shows that Kurt Cobain died by suicide so here's what Mike has to say about that I feel like Mike would be like a hefty guy from Seattle guy Seattle (laughs) did I find any earth shattering evidence that would change the medical examiner's conclusion that Kurt committed suicide no 
In fact, I found evidence that strengthened that finding. <laughs> Great job, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for coming on Talks and Sims. You're welcome. <laughs> Although they made this public and the FBI like finally decided to release all the case files for this as well. Still, people aren't buying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's actually the documentary I mentioned earlier. I watched it last year called Soaked in Bleach. And again, it focuses on Tom's theory and tries to piece everything together. And it really looks at everything super detailed. So definitely recommend it for you conspiracy theorists out there or for those of you who just don't know what to believe at this point. <laughs> who do you believe? Yeah, Kurt. Courtney. 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 <laughs> Courtney herself was not happy hearing that this documentary was being made, claiming it's quote unquote citing a lack of evidence and showcases their emotional trauma, which I also understand yeah. that too. Cause like if she doesn't have any involvement with it, it's pretty hard. Like people Everyone trying to blame it on always, you. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm sure like this has gone on for freaking years. Yeah. She still has his last name though. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? (laughs) As far as I was able to find, their daughter, Frances, is also a believer that his death was, like, it was a suicide, so she's not, like... Mom! Yeah. (laughs) But even though they did have, like, her and her mom did not have a good relationship Mm -hmm. while she was a teen, they, they, like, have come together since then, yeah. Therapy, y'all. Try it out. (laughs) As for what Courtney is up to now, she posted a photo to Instagram last year saying... Debilitated in pain... I was in pain and almost died due to anemia. I was addicted for nine months due to continuous doctors, backward doctors and quacks. So like the first half of that caption, I was like, oh, like I get it. You know, she's going through a hard time. And then the ending was like, okay, I don't understand what's happening now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like she must have like legit had anemia. They probably prescribed her a bunch of random yeah. shit. And mm-hmm. she's probably been. The thing is that she's. She has a history of drug abuse. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, and this is like um, someone else's business, but I'll tell it anyway. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> like the head pastor of the church that my sisters go to mm-hmm. and my mom, he in his youth was like a partier, was mm-hmm. always in Mexico, hippie, did drugs, all that, right? So then obviously he's like a head pastor now yeah. that's behind him. He's reformed. He loves the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he actually, a few years ago, which is my friend Spencer's dad, he was, they, they would go spear fishing off of Malibu. Mm-hmm. And basically it was one night, they don't know what happened, but they crash and they hit mm-hmm. on, they hit rocks. And so they were, they were sinking. They were going into yeah. the ocean. And so basically what happened was that like part of the shrapnel like cut him in the throat. Mm. And so like he almost died. Yeah. yeah. If they hadn't, if everything didn't happen the way it did, he would have died. And so basically what he was saying was that like there was a touch and go moment where they kind of just had him like sedated, mm-hmm. but he just had like crazy nightmares. And yeah. so as soon as he was able to regain consciousness, he was like, I don't care. Like, I I will take all the pain. I just, yeah. having history of doing drugs. like Because it's a trauma that's coming back. <laughs> I, I can't have these drugs in my system. Mm-hmm. Like, get them away. Yeah. So that's so crazy. Like, so who knows what they were giving her, and yeah. it's just triggering all sorts of chemical mm-hmm. stuff in her brain. Yeah. Yikes. So she also shared her pain with the world, but also expressed her gratitude for those who have stuck by her. 
because uh, I mean, yeah, like she's going through that, and she's also like constantly dealing with these. Like she's the killer, yeah. like she's a murderer. <laughs> but she seems to be doing a lot better in her most recent Instagram posts, and um, just I thought it was funny. This is great. It also seems like she's a Doja Cat fan. Yes, I'm a cow. <laughs> she shared a cover of one of Doja's songs, followed by TikToks of people just like praising it and loving it. So I'm like, that's cool. Well, that's what. Yeah, I think that's what I heard. That now she did one of a uh, whole songs. Oh, the, the, okay. The yeah, song that's she... viral right now, the Doja gotcha. Cat, is Courtney mm-hmm. Love song. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all I got for you guys for this uh, conspiracy moment. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I was definitely like just zoned into my mm-hmm. laptop for a good like three hours. She was like, she was like that <laughs> meme of that guy. <laughs> uh, well, who doesn't like a good conspiracy? And to get. <laughs> wow. I was going to go, don't get me wrong, but who doesn't want to get mad at Courtney over Kurt? <laughs> or get mad at her over Dave Grohl? Yeah. Uh, it was nice to hear that they finally squashed their beef mm-hmm. many, many, many years later, but yeah. they're they're cool yeah, now. At least it happened. <laughs> right? I mean, at some point, it's how to get away with murder. I'm just kidding. It's funny that you said it. Did you just get a text saying how to get away with murder? Yes! <laughs> That one show that I really like to watch. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, anyway. So some last first notable mentions of the 21st century, because I didn't go over those yeah. earlier. Uh, Beyonce, <laughs> the Queen Bee. Yeah. In 2010, she took home six Grammy Awards, the most won by any female artist in a single night. And then Adele went to tie the record in 2012. Mm-hmm. In 2011, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream tied with Michael Jackson's Bad mm-hmm. as the only album to generate... Five Hot 100 number one hits at one time. In 2014, Taylor Swift, T-Swift, becomes the first woman to replace herself (laughs) Uh, at number one on the Hot 100 when Blink's face, wow, uh, dethroned Shake It Up 2018. For all you haters out there, Cardi B is the first female rapper to claim two number one hits. 2019, T-Swift again Mm -hmm. becomes Artist of the Decade, winning six American Music Awards, taking her all-time total to 29 and breaking Michael Jackson's record. Mm. Go, ladies. And lastly, Beyonce again (laughs) with, and this was like as of this year, I think, pretty much. Oh, okay. uh, With a total of 28 awards and 79 nominations from the Grammy Awards for her music, including her work in Destiny's Child and The Carters, she is the most nominated woman and the most award- awarded singer in Grammy history with 13 awards. Beyonce is the eighth most awarded artist at the Billboard Music Awards. So she's just like, award after award yeah. after award, you get an award. <laughs> so earlier in the segment, I did say that Oxford noted someone as number one. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's time. So <laughs> I guess it's time to reveal who Oxford noted as the very first for women in music's first. The first female composer is Cassiani, also known as Cassia, was a 9th century abbess and composer born in, I can't say this, Constantinople. I was, I was going to say Constantinople. That one, <laughs> what she just said. And that was around 810 AD. <laughs> and her music is heart-stoppingly beautiful. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, now you know. We've been doing this since 810 AD. <laughs> Okay, uh, that wraps <laughs> us for today's episode. And as always, we leave you with the final burning unnecessary question. But thanks, you guys. I have been playing along on the Instagram. Yep. We see you. Uh, which female artist has been your fave of all of all time? <laughs> 
Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you like to follow our podcast, where you can let us know your answer for your favorite female musician of all time. <laughs> um, our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Patreon is all under at Talks and Sips. For our personal accounts, mine is at Ceci.NCSO. Mine is at JFox with two X's and two underscores. <laughs> and we also have our website, ToxinSips.com, where you can check out all the links for all of our episodes. So if you want to go on your own deep dive... I'll leave all the links I and found. And be at work like. <gasps> <laughs> wasting wasting uh, company time. What is it? <laughs> my, my boss makes something something. Or I make a dime for every dollar oh, my yeah. boss makes uh-huh. so I can shit on company time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> I haven't gotten in trouble yet. <laughs> well, that all being said, we have been Toxic Zips and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.